Menlo Church, so good to be with you. Thank you so much for being with us uh, today, whether you're at one of our Bay Area campuses in Saratoga, Mountain View, Menlo Park, San Mateo, you're joining us online. Uh, we are so glad that you're with us today as we continue a series that Cheryl got us started in last week called Seasons, or this idea of having permission to feel a wider range of emotions uh, than sometimes we settle for in our faith. Now, if you missed last week, I would really encourage you to go take a listen to it online. This is one of those series that will make more sense together than it will if you just listen to it as one-off messages. And last week, Cheryl introduced this tool that you were given at one of our campuses or is available online, sort of a feelings chart that helps you then go find um, some specific psalms uh, that can correspond with some of those different seasons in your personal walk with Jesus. Today, we're going to continue in that work together. And as we do that, I want to name something, and that is that no season is perfect. We're going to talk about summer this week, and it can feel like that's the goal. Um, but just like in the reality of nature, uh, each season is only a good season if the seasons before have done their job, right? I don't have to tell you that. In California, we know what happens if we don't get rain in spring, and the Lord certainly gave us some of that this year, right? But that's what allows each season to function and flourish is if the seasons preceding it are allowed to take place well. We need the snow, we need the rain, and we need the sunshine. So I just encourage you to think about that. I also want to just recognize something that um, maybe for you this isn't uh, a thing you are paying attention to or something that's as relevant, but if you're a follower of Jesus and um, Tim Keller is a name that is uh, relevant and significant to you, a pastor and leader and author out of New York City for many decades, incredibly faithful, has in this last season been um, battling cancer uh, and just recently, yesterday, uh, passed on to his eternal life in God in heaven. And so um, just want to pray for us in just a moment. Uh, is a giant of our faith and uh, really thankful for him and the legacy that he'll leave behind. Uh, Menlo is blessed. I am blessed uh, by the work and faithfulness of Tim Keller in our season. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much. Thank you that today we stand on the shoulders of giants, men and women like Tim Keller and um, so many more that we read and quote and learn from, faithful men and women who have walked with you for century after century after millennia um, in this movement of people who seek to know you, who seek to follow your word. God, might we be just another set of people who are trying to do that well and point people to this abundant and eternal life available only in your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. So today, uh, we're going to talk about summer as a season, which kind of here in California, we get, right? It's easy to think about summer because we get a lot more of it than other parts of the country. If you don't know that, just come talk to me. If you have grown up in California, uh, people are like, are you going to miss the snow? No, I'm, I grew up in the Midwest. I had more snow by the time I turned 10 than I ever wanted in my life. I don't miss it. Not 1%. So we sort of get it here. There's more summer, more summer. Um, the weather is warm. The sun is out. And hopefully this year, because of the rain uh, that we got, we're not going to face some of the same drought conditions that we have in recent years, right? Because every season has functioned. Summer as a kid was really fun, wasn't it? I, I don't know what your experience as a kid was, but I can remember my experience as a kid before smartphones, before Find My App, before all of us were in video games every moment of every day. At the beginning of the summer day, you would go play outside, and the time to come home was when the sun was no longer 
out. That was sort of the way that it worked. As a matter of fact, you really couldn't come home until after that. That was sort of the boundary. And uh, I think maybe now it's a little bit different. Maybe for you, it's how you're going to finish the new Zelda game. That for you, that is the thing this summer. It means freedom. As adults, summer maybe means we try to squeeze in a little vacation with friends or family. Maybe. But mostly it's just another part of our year now. A part that we really just are reminded of how much we wish we were outside, how much we wish we weren't in another meeting, how much we wish we weren't having to do the same old day-to-day responsibilities and tasks. See, the spiritual season of summer can bring those childhood senses of freedom back, a sense of unencumbered joy where we feel God's presence close to us. And even when we have a hard day, or even when we're going through something that is heavy, it doesn't feel like we're going through it alone. That's the summertime season of our faith and what it can create in us. Maybe it's been a little while since you felt that. Maybe your life hasn't felt that way. Your faith hasn't felt that way. Well, I have really good news for you. Author C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek Fine, to those who knock, it is open. The promise of joy in the Bible is a promise that God will come through. Here's the thing. I want us even just right now to pause for a moment. I want to give you a chance to personally invite God to provide joy for you to see what he actually might be calling you and me to, what we might be blind to. So would you pray this with me right now? I think it's going to be on the screen for you. God... Would you give me joy right now? A peace that transcends understanding, an assurance of who you are, even in my sorrows and disappointments. Will you give me the faith to believe that my failure isn't fatal and your faithfulness is forever? In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe for you, that's the step of faith today. To say, God, I actually think that stuff can be true in my life as well. We're going to return to the book of Psalms where we began last week and where our series is focusing on. And I hope that God's going to show you the joy that is either true of your life today and give some handles to it, or is true for your life just around the corner if you continue to faithfully pursue God in your everyday We're joining the Psalms nearly at the end of the book, this collection of poetry and songs, and we're going to get a profile in joy, specifically that joy is meant to overflow, not overwhelm, that joy in our life is actually supposed to flow out of us into the lives of other people, into the situations and circumstances we have a chance to serve, not feel like this weight we can't carry. See, joy is just one of the summer emotions, but it is really helpful because of what it encapsulates. Joy is a choice to pursue God in the midst of our circumstances for a peace that is bigger than our circumstances. And the first way that we see this is that joy acknowledges limits. Joy acknowledges limits. This inner peace, this thing beyond our circumstances actually has limits. And I think one of the ways that we experience overwhelming rather than overflowing spiritual lives is when we live without limits. I wonder, where do you feel the most pressure to throw off limits in your life? Can I be honest? I hate it. I hate it when something tells me it's prime shipping and it takes more than two days. Feels like false advertising. It's a problem we should fix. You know, like I just don't like that. Just set my expectations clearly to begin with. 
Maybe for you, it's about spending in general, and you're constantly chasing the reality that you are living in spending without limits. Uh, Maybe for you, it's a schedule or vacation plans that are never ending. Uh, Maybe it's the hobby that you just can't stop going deeper into the wormhole of. The categories aren't wrong. We can enjoy good things, but when good things become ultimate, they lose their boundaries. Author and speaker Jackie Hill Perry says it this way. She says, uh, everything in our life without a boundary is an idol. It's a God in our life. It's taken up too much of our heart. It's not designed to carry that weight. The author of our psalm today is going to give us some really helpful boundaries as we pursue joy together. They begin this way. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Now this psalm is called a psalm of praise. And when we read that praise the Lord in English, those three words are actually one word in the Hebrew that it was written in, and that word is hallelujah. Praise the Lord. At the core aim is to give God credit for who he is at the same time as expressing our gratitude that we are maybe feeling in that moment or believing for the future. It's believed that at this point, Israel is rebuilding Jerusalem, but Everything was far from perfect in that rebuilding effort. It was nothing like the the heydays or the glory days of Israel. Things were smaller. It looked very, very different, but still the author found a reason to praise. See, what we see in this is not a means of overflowing our circumstances, having our life be good enough that we would praise God, but rather overflowing our faith in our circumstances, into our praise. See, the author is making it clear that they will praise God no matter what happens as long as they live. And for some of you, that's your story too. For some of you, that's been your story decade after decade after decade. And you have gone from fall to winter to spring to summer over and over again in your pursuit of God. And sometimes the circumstances are incredible and it's easy to praise God and it's easy to choose joy. And other times it feels like the furthest thing from possibility. And then the author, they give us the boundary, which is don't trust in princes. And maybe for you that doesn't seem very relevant. You didn't even watch the royal wedding. You don't watch the coronations. Like those things are not relevant details to you. Um, But I think that obviously we can think about what it is to put weight and emphasis, belief, trust, total allegiance in significant places and people of power. He's contrasting how we're supposed to trust God with how we're tempted to trust people and institutions. This is a bigger warning about the boundaries of trust and surrender that we give to people from bosses to celebrities to venture capitalists to experts to politicians to pastors. See, people are fallible. And oftentimes the closer we get, the more likely we become to overemphasize on loyalty and devotion to people. And that is a problem. See, the greater allegiance you give to people, oftentimes the greater the likelihood you will be disappointed by those same people. There's an old adage, never meet your heroes. 
and it's probably darker than it needs to be, but it gets to this idea that people will most likely disappoint us, especially if we put too much hope into them, if we put them too high on a pedestal. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't look up to people. I think the caution of the psalm writer is just be careful how high you look up to people. The core reason that the author gives is that they won't last, that only God and his plans will endure forever. And so all these ideas, these big things that we might trust in, they're worth setting aside if we are trusting in them at the expense of trusting in God for our life. The biggest companies and the greatest technologies that we use today will be forgotten in a generation. Even something as groundbreaking as AI, it will have a shelf life. And if we venerate these tools or we worship these people, I'm telling you, we are setting ourselves up for deep disappointment because none of them are eternal. If we believe that they will provide a path to immortality or living without limits, we will be very disappointed. We will not find joy in those circumstances. The boundaries and the limits that God gives us are actually blessings to remind us that we weren't actually made for this moment alone, that we have eternity in our hearts. Think about like the very first iPhone. Remember when that one came out? It was groundbreaking. It was amazing. And then there was like the next iPhone. And then there was like the next iPhone. And then there was, you know what happened after that? The next iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> and it just kept happening over and over and over. And now we are so conditioned to this for all technologies, for all, like every industry. Immediately, once the new one comes out, what are we talking about? The next one. Even if it's brand new. This is the picture of God, though, whose grace and mercy is new every morning. Imagine an eternal reality where there is no next thing, but that feeling of newness is inherent in your very existence. That's what we're made to long for. That's why we praise a God who is eternally new, who is eternally enduring, whose glory will last and not fade. The other reason that the author gives is that these, in many cases, great things and good people, they can't save you. They can't save you. And we live in a moment where all of these things are sort of promising some version of salvation. But even before the earthly ministry of Jesus, there was this understanding in the Jewish people, in the writings that we're reading here, that they needed salvation. They needed something outside of themselves. For them, they thought it was going to come through a sacrificial system. They didn't realize that that system was a shadow to point to the fact that only Jesus could be the person that would epitomize our ultimate need for a savior. Not the kind that they wanted, but the kind that they needed. Not always the kind that you and I want, but the kind that we always need. See, where are the limits in your life? And maybe do they need to be adjusted a little bit? As you think about joy, it can be counterintuitive. But what are you looking to for salvation in your life? What are you hoping is really going to get you through? Where are you working beyond your boundaries, extending care and support beyond what is sustainable that will burn you out? Where are you spending ahead of what you financially can with wisdom? 
These are all chances for you and me to, re to reassess the boundaries in our life and to understand that those boundaries are blessings for our ultimate joy if we will choose it in God. What would happen if you believed that boundaries were a blessing? If you let these boundaries show up again in your life and you trusted that God really has provided hope in the person and the work of Jesus for you, that joy is meant to overflow, not overwhelm. How's that going in your life? See, we see that joy actually has boundaries. The second thing is that joy recognizes provision. Joy recognizes provision. If we want to understand the anatomy of the way this psalmist is thinking about it. When you see your paycheck, your investment portfolio, your retirement account, your allowance, or even your crypto wallet, do you see what you have produced or what God has provided? The way we fundamentally think about that, the way we begin believing that is really important. See, with a couple of our kids, we're at that allowance stage in our life as a family. And it's funny how quickly our kids become opportunist little capitalists in that shift. Like, hey, would you do me a favor and uh, could you go close that door? Would you give me a dollar? What? Are you kidding me right now? Right? The tendency towards entitlement for all of us, but especially for our kids, is so strong. But sometimes the idea of working for our money can make us forget that it's still provision, that every good and perfect gift is actually coming from God. If you're a follower of Jesus, then your money and all of your stuff actually isn't yours. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament of the Bible puts it this way. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, that which endures, that place where we can really find joy, that person that really lets it overflow from our lives. It means that we shouldn't view our money and stuff as produced by us, but as provisioned by God. What does that mean and how can we avoid the prideful warning in this passage for our lives? Well, that's where the psalmist continues. It says, blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. This praise feels a little self-congratulatory, right? The, the psalmist is like, I figured it out. Let me tell you all this awesome stuff that I've discovered in God. He's saying that we are blessed if we trust the God of Jacob, which is pointing back to a moment in Israel's history in the Hebrew scriptures of our Bible and the fact that we can trust God forever, that God's faithfulness is throughout all of human history and is going nowhere. Not only that, but this God can be trusted even when things look bleak. See, the thing is, when we take a step back and we think about this, first we see that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. This is this foundation of God's name, Yahweh, to Israel, the way that they would have thought about it, the way that they would have understood it. Second is that God executes justice for the oppressed. 
even when it doesn't look like what we want or when we want, God will right the scales of justice. And third, God gives food to the hungry. This is both literal and figurative. And these things, they give us this picture about how the kingdom of heaven is supposed to work. And in a broken world, it may not be the way that it works today, but it is the way that God is working it out today for this eternal one day. And this idea of being fed is not just literal, it's figurative. That even as a follower of Jesus, you might arrive to his word, you might arrive to the person of Jesus with a spiritual appetite in a culture that's doing everything it can to take away your hunger. Jesus would come and deliver the Sermon on the Mount in the early part of his ministry and only intensify these promises and the character of God as the kingdom of heaven is revealed. This is still the work that God wants to do today, even through us. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is to help to say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done right here in this moment as it is in heaven. So how does your joy show up? It doesn't mean that we have to have a version of toxic positivity. You know some people like this. If you don't and you're always smiling, be careful. It might be you. But this is the person that they could be having the worst day, the worst week, the worst season. They really could be in a winter. But if you ask them how they're doing, they will say, I feel incredible. I'm so blessed. And there's a version of following Jesus where you can say those things and still share what you're going through. But there's another part where I just, I just live this disconnected, bifurcated life where I just pretend the really hard and difficult things aren't true. They aren't happening, and that's not helpful. Part of this series is acknowledging that, that if, if it's hard, if things are difficult, if you don't feel something, don't force it. See, I think that there's this way we see God's long track record of faithfulness in our lives and we can praise him for his resume, even if our current circumstances don't line up yet, but we don't have to fake it. Part of your joy may be thanking God in advance for how he's going to show up, even as you acknowledge how you feel in your current circumstances. There is a dangerous stream of theology called word of faith that teaches that you and I have co-creative power with God that if you just declare something, then it will come about. I do not believe that this teaching is true, um, but I think that there is a way we can apply this text. For us, it may be that we are confidently thanking God about how he will show up, about how he will change and mold our circumstances. But I think for some of us, what this means is we have to drop the conditions that we have placed on him. For some of us, God can only show up in predetermined ways that we have determined. Some of our prayers sound like this. We say, uh, God, you must, be careful with that word, work at this job. God, you must make it so that we can live at this standard. God, you must deliver this medical result. You must do it this way. And then when God doesn't do it that way, God has disappointed you rather than your own expectations being the ones that have disappointed you. Joy trusts God with our circumstances because it isn't about what happens immediately in our circumstances, but who is orchestrating our lives ultimately. That we can trust that God's greatest provision in your life is your eternal reconciliation to him. Every prayer for healing is a temporary healing. 
until eternity. Every prayer for provision is a prayer for temporary provision until eternity. We should never forget that. What are some of the musts maybe that you need to let go of in order to find joy right now? And finally, we see that joy delivers in darkness. Summer brings the longest days, right? The sun isn't setting till after eight o'clock. And um, when you have a four-year-old like we do, uh, it's really hard when you want him to try and get good sleep still because he'll say, daddy, the sun is still awake. And my response is usually, hey, buddy, the sun is a lot older than you. So it gets to stay up. <laughs> it gets to stay up longer. But then when the sun goes down, the temperature drops very, very quickly. It's why we have all these propane heaters everywhere, right? Because we've gotten used to the sun. We've gotten used to the heat that it provides. And once it's gone, it's this unbearable reality until we find a heat source. We should keep that in mind. The psalmist gives us one more glimpse into the source of our joy. They say, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. When is the last time you felt like a sojourner? Maybe it was a trip to a new place or spending time with a group of people you didn't know as well. This idea of a sojourner or a temporary resident was very normal to the Jewish people. They spent most of the Hebrew scriptures as sojourners. That's how they saw themselves, even as they were returning to Jerusalem. In the New Testament, our call is as exiles and sojourners in a foreign land, regardless of where we are, because the kingdom of heaven is our home. We carry the hope of a risen savior and we're supposed to look and live differently than the world around us because of it. Not weird, but different. See, as sojourners, our praise is supposed to be public. Remember, we've talked about this. Our faith is personal. It's never private. The final verse of this psalm, it highlights an important distinction between joy and praise. It's supposed to be visible to the world around us. Not just that we have joy, but the source of our joy. The author says that we should praise God to all generations, which is great in a church like Menlo, right? We think about all generations. We think about folks that have been walking with Jesus for days and people who have walked with him for decades and people who have yet to turn and follow him. How often though do we make worship and praise only music and only about us and our preferences. I'm sure you don't, but like somebody you know does, right? See, the darkness is all around us in life, but it gets illuminated when we bring praise to it, praise with our whole life. Music is a part of that, even if you can't hold a tune, by the way, as a part of how we all connect with God. But it's our whole life. It's the way we use our words. It's the way we carry out the works in our life that God has extended his grace to all of us. And the world will notice if we will extend it, if our faith will be personal but not private. I know it can feel overwhelming. I know that in our moment, it can feel like we're on the losing side. But there's one author who puts it this way. He says, secularism, materialism, and the intrusive presence of things have put out the light in our souls and turned us into a generation of zombies. And maybe you think to yourself, wow, that 
is a really relevant current take on this. But this was not written yesterday. It was written nearly 65 years ago. We can trust that God was working then and that he's still working now. That even when the darkness feels overwhelming, we can find joy that can be overflowing. That even when we are in the middle of the desert, we can find joy if we will just keep looking for it. If we will experience the spiritual seasons that God brings us through, summer will be one of them. And you may not be in a season of joy right now. You may not be in the summer season right now. And that's okay. Summer comes and goes. But I hope you will add this to your arsenal. Because there are certainly some people who have toxic positivity and can never admit when something is wrong. But the other side exists too. Some of us, we can never admit when things are right. We bring a rain cloud everywhere we go. Both extremes are a problem. See, the overflowing joy that God wants for us is something that feels so freeing when you experience it. My life circumstances are not perfect, and neither are yours. After losing my mom a couple months ago, adjusting to life in California at Menlo, you may assume that I can't relate to a season of summer right now in my walk with God, but I think that part of the goodness of the gospel, this good news of Jesus in my life right now, is the reminder that God loves me and that he sent his son to live a perfect life, to die on my behalf and come back from the grave, that I could experience abundant life now and eternal life waiting. It's been this freedom through that, this joy that doesn't line up with my circumstances, that believes for a future that I don't live in yet, that can savor the moments of grace and joy, and fruit and faithfulness, that I can see God working even where it's difficult. And it doesn't mean that every day is good. There are still days where you have clouds in the summer, still days in the summer that aren't perfect, days where it gets too hot. Look, I've had really hard days, days in this season that I haven't wanted to get out of bed, days when I just want to talk to my mom, days when I want certain projects or challenges to be further along or behind me. But I have an amazing family and a support team and a great team here at Menlo and you to help work through it. That's the way that God's designed all of us to work, that we don't walk through this alone. Even our summertime has bad days and that's okay. We can still pursue joy in the middle of those days. Maybe praying through the Psalm and the others on the card you received at the beginning of the series can help you relate when your season is in summertime joy. Maybe for you, you're not in that season and just reading it today feels like, well, one day, God, I will trust that if I can live well in this season, I will be back in that one. And I wanna give you some practical ways to choose joy if maybe this is something you wanna think about or lean into in the days to come. The first is that you have to choose to see God, not just at church, not just when you're listening to a sermon, but that we believe that there is a God who is omnipresent, he's everywhere, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, omniscient, he knows everything, that the end of our reality is never because of him. You have to choose to be grateful. Maybe for you this is a journal or a note on your phone, but there's so many things in our day-to-day -day life that point us away from that. Choose to be grateful, choose to find the things to thank God for. Choose uplifting people in your life who in your life, not toxic positivity, but people that see the best in you, that bring out the best in you, that are 
people that will lift you up, not pull you down. And then choose to see past your circumstances. That even if right now you're in the middle of finding another job, even if right now you're in the middle of figuring out the circumstances of your most recent diagnosis, even if right now you're waiting for an adult child to come back to faith, that you can choose to see beyond your circumstances, you can trust that God is working. You are not just a bag of bones, Menlo Church. You are created in the image of God with infinite dignity, value, and worth. And God made you with a soul, not a body with a soul, but a soul with a body. Your soul in Hebrew is this word nefesh, which can be translated life. God has breathed his life into you. Because of Jesus, we can praise God with our whole life, comprehensively and supernaturally. In just a moment, we're gonna spend some time praying through some of these verses together. And I pray that God will remind you that God breathes his life into your life for this life and the eternal life he died to provide. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for moments like this. Thank you for passages like this. Would you give us a fresh sense of what it means to walk with you today? For some of us, God, experiencing summertime, that these might be handles for us to live into this season of our lives more effectively. And for some of us, God, where this season feels completely impossible, would you help us to file it away and to have a hope that one day this is the season we would live in as well? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.